Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on the recording. But let us get started. Well, it's that time again, friends. Uh, time for another edition of Laugh It Up Fuzzball. As uh, the Bad Justice League movie plays on the screen in my television without sound. Because uh, sometimes I just like looking at the visuals of movies. And plus it was, it was at Target for like <laughs> like 8 bucks. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'll own this awful movie. Uh, but of course, the first time it plays on my television, it uh, is is without without the sound. But right now, Flash is all, uh, they're all getting ready to fight some Superman. Spoiler alert! <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's time to time to do all of the podcasty things that we do here on Laugh It Up Fuzzball. You already heard the intro with the beautiful music, and there's no more uh, clever music to be played. So all you get is me. Potentially clever, but definitely talking. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see where we go. Just some fuzzy thoughts to get us all started. Couple of shout-outs. Uh, shout out to Jerry. What's up, Jerry? He finished all the episodes available on Apple Podcasts, and uh, I thought that was just really cool. We went to go see a Rad Scott show. I think I talked about that on a previous episode. But I was like, man, Jerry, you the bomb. Yeah, he listens to it while he's working, and we're happy that you're working, Jerry. Uh, but thanks, man. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you, buddy. I mean, you'd think you've known me since high school when we were freshmen. You'd think you'd be done listening to me by now, but I guess it's a whole military break. You're like, oh, I didn't get tired of your voice yet. But you will because you've listened to over 100 episodes of me, and I, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much. Also, a shout-out to Roman. Thanks so much, bud, for the props in person for my Peter Mayhew eulogy. Uh, sorry for making you teary-eyed, but really, really, I appreciate the kudos. I wondered how that sounded, and it was nice to hear in person from somebody that it was good. I always appreciate when I get some comments on the podcast, and that's nice. So thank you, thank you, Roman, for uh, for for appreciating my Googleizing. And, uh, of course, I, I always say that we're sponsored by the Carry On Couple Podcasts. Ryan and Trina keep doing their wonderful travel podcast and giving shout outs to the show on theirs their show which looks like someday it'll be much more popular and profitable than this one but hey thanks guys appreciate it and you're still still a sponsor and uh just thanks thanks to all of you the international community of fuzzballs i've said it on a couple podcasts like man people people in burkina faso at least one person one time listening and then the uk and all over europe and Asia and the Philippines and Thailand and Myanmar and of course our friends up north in the Great White North in Canada and uh, the one the one special person who I wish would send me a message or something from Burkina Faso. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you really did. You were like, wow, this American is a weirdo. But uh, I guess we'll just get into the news because there's lots of stuff I want to cover here. What do we got? We got a let the Wookiee win Star Wars some some little Star Wars news not a not a crazy amount of Star Wars news but we gotta if you, if you missed it you know Mark Hamill is always putting stuff up on uh, Twitter and he has he has admitted at points that he likes to troll get people uh, get people talking he actually put up a tweet 
about missed opportunities. If you if you missed it, if, if you had one of your own missed opportunities, basically the tweet was um, a picture that a, a fan had created, which had Lando and Han and Leia and, and Luke in their older forms all in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. And uh, it just said hashtag missed opportunities. Then people got hot pissed because uh, the creator of that image is actually... Uh, an alt-right guy that basically has posted all sorts of negative and, and sexist and misogynistic things on the internet is the person that created it and some some fans thought that you know Hamill's use of it implied an endorsement I, I can understand like using an image doesn't necessarily mean that he's just like yeah I'm all about the alt-right I mean it's it's Mark Hamill he's put up messages of tolerance and inclusivity but uh, he used the image and of course uh, then came in he apologized you know he he realized how people felt but you know his apology was basically like I saw, I saw this picture of people I missed and I posted it because I missed them and it's not anything more than that it's nothing less I didn't want to get everyone's knickers in a twist his words not mine and he said maybe you should have posted endgame spoilers instead hashtag relax and have fun people I agree hashtag relax and have fun people uh, very very important because how else are we going to unite the galaxy or Unamos la galaxia I'm sure you were like wait this post is going up like it either is going up late tonight Saturday I really should be getting sleep because I have some really wonderful uh, Mother's Day plans with my my beautiful Heather who is a mother I love her very much but uh, if you're wondering about that episode title you're like Spanish what's going on that just stems from a, a funny Star Wars moment from this past week I actually saw an advertisement for upcoming uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge stuff in Disneyland and it was in both English and Spanish and it just made me laugh because I was like really it's it's in Spanish like is there, is there even Spanish in in a galaxy far far away I was like yeah so unite the galaxy is you you namos la galaxia in Spanish and it, it really it got me thinking like you know there is no English in Star Wars English or what you hear the character speaking if you if you know the canon is galactic basic uh, but I was actually talking to one of my buddies about that and the galaxy far far away and why you would need a translation and I guess if you have offworlders you know humans Terrans from the the Marvel canon if you will uh, needing to understand because they speak Spanish uh, then you could translate but I think our final decision is just that in in a galaxy far far away if English is galactic basic then Spanish is galactic advanced and that's my new headcanon there is such a language as galactic advanced and uh, I have many thoughts about it but this did really make me laugh I had to share it with you and I know Danny and blue both speak galactic galactic advanced so maybe we'll ask them what their uh, opinion is about about the Spanish translation of basic and uh, if they think uh, my 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 name for this new language is appropriate we also got Disney leaking their next trilogy plans uh, we're gonna get another trilogy and it's going to be a three-year hiatus, so the new trilogy will begin December 2022. And then every other year, you're going to get another movie in this trilogy. So another one in December 2024, and another one in 2025, or 2026. And the reason for this is Avatar is going to fill the alternate years with their four planned sequels. <laughs> James Cameron's four planned sequels. So in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027, you're going to get Avatar films, and we'll see if people are really excited for that. I think uh, the first movie will be will be a big indication of whether whether Avatar, if there's fire. I mean, we're just waiting for, for Endgame to topple the record of Avatar as the most successful movie worldwide, but we shall see. What else? Oh, it's just like fun, like listening to another podcast. Shout out to, um, I think it actually was uh, the Force Center podcast with... Uh, 
with uh, Ken Knapsack and Joseph Scrimshaw. But I, I did not know this. This is fun fact from Return of the Jedi. Oh, no, no. It actually was. I was listening to the Cinephiles, and they were doing a really great uh, encapsulation of Return of the Jedi. Uh, but the, at the voice of Bosch the Bounty Hunter, so, you know, when, well, spoilers, I guess, but uh, when Bosch shows up in Jabba's Palace and is tied to Han Solo, and yes, I actually am sidestepping it and trying not to spoil things, but uh, the voice of Bosch is the same voice actor who did E.T. What? You're like, what? What, what Wookiee? Yato! Yato! <laughs> Someone who loves you. Elio, E.T. Von Home. E.T. Von Home. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, yes, my friends, if you, uh, if you did not know that, I thought that was a neat little, neat little connection there. Really, really cool. So, um, yeah, there you go. The, uh, the E.J. Debenham, uh, is uh i think wait uncredited uh oh pat welsh was the voice of et sorry i i didn't actually look it up i had to i was like oh crap why did i not write that down so i uh, i looked it up and uh she also voiced the character Bausch. so shout out to pat welsh shout out to Bausch. uh shout out to uh to et i suppose <laughs> so uh yeah there there you Go, my friends. That's for you. Just for you. Uh, not angry Russian. Just Russian coming to say hello. You're welcome. I hope hope you enjoy. Other Star Wars news. We did get a release of all the books that are going to be leading up to Rise of Skywalker. Um, these uh, books are basically they do they've done it for all the movies. So they have a bunch of different things. So uh, November twelfth, we're going to get Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Roanhorse. Uh, going to be an adventure for Leia and Poe. Um, and more. We're going to get Force Collector by Kevin Shinnick. That's November 19th. And basically, someone with Force powers trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Not Luke, a different Force user. We get a little golden book entitled We Are the Resistance. That's written by Elizabeth Schaefer, illustrated by Alan Baston. That comes out October 4th. We get Spark of the Resistance, written by Justina Ireland, illustrated by Phil Noto, October 4th. We get Art of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker by Phil Zostak. It's S-Z-O-S-T-A-K. That's December 20th. The cover for that is crazy. Look it up if you want to. The Art of Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. We get another book called The Galaxy Needs You by Caitlin Kennedy, illustrated by Ida Caban in December 17th. There's a pop-up book and, of course, the Visual Dictionary, which is something that always comes out. Just lots of lots of really cool books. I think it uh, it is exciting. Look up for more details on that. But lots of books to read, and I enjoy me some Star Wars books. In fact, right next to me, I have one, two, three, four, four or five Star Wars books I plan on reading this summer. I'm, I'm gonna get some reading for enjoyment done because this might be my last summer where I actually get to enjoy my reading since uh, I am hopefully gonna be going down the path of writing a thesis for grad school. But enough about that. We'll get into flavor of the geek. All the geeky news fit to talk about. Uh, if you did not see, there's been a couple new trailers, some really exciting trailers. We got the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, and we got It Chapter 2 trailer for that. Uh, funnily enough, Danny actually posted the It Chapter 2 uh, trailer, and he watched it because, like he said, his his hypocrisy knows no bounds. He's the one that's always talking about spoilers. Uh, so the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer 
Wow, really, really good. I'm not going to spoil it, but check it out. There's there's a lot of cool stuff, and uh, I think I actually talked about it on Laughing Up Fuzzballs. Uh, there might be a little spoiler there, but but check it out. It's it's cool. Uh, Mysterio, really great. I got to laugh about all the people like, I'm not sure about the motives of Mysterio. Yeah, you should be. Because listen to his name, friends. He's pretty he's pretty uh, transparent, at least in the in the naming of himself. Um, Lots of, you know, so lots of stuff that we didn't know was going to happen and lots of endgame spoilers. The entire reason that the Russo brothers said no more spoiler or that the spoiler ban was lifted is because they knew that the Spider-Man trailer was being dropped. And there are some straight endgame spoilers in that trailer, including a really cute like Tom Holland at the beginning. Like, oh, listen, friends, if you, if you haven't I'll seen endgame, just don't, don't watch. Uh, that's a really bad Tom Holland British accent. But uh, he is British, and he's, he sounds young, even though he's not that young. He's, he's like 22, 23 now. But, um, yeah, check it out. Uh, you can watch the trailer. I think there's a link on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs page, or you can just find it wherever. Wherever trailers are found, or who knows where that is. And the Ed Chapter 2 trailer. Check out that scary freaking mess on, on the Laugh It Up Fuzzballs page. Man, that, that crap is scary. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the second chapter. It looks so good. I really love the first chapter, and... Ooh, wow. Um, I, I guess you may be like, oh no, is Wookie going to be finally doing the spoilers since I said the spoilers are lifted? I allowed people to talk about spoilers on the page. I think uh, we're just going to, I'm not going to talk any uh, endgame spoilers just because, uh, spoiler for an upcoming podcast, Danny's coming over next week and we're going to talk all about it. We'll probably dedicate an entire hour or more, you know, it's Danny. So it's probably going to be more all about endgame. We're just going to talk all about it. And who else, who knows what else we're going to talk about. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this, this episode now. I just want to catch up on all, all the news that I have and all the television that I've watched because uh, next, next recording is going to be all Danny. Uh, we got, if you didn't see Jane Silent Real, Bob Reboot is, has wrapped shooting. Kevin Smith has done everything for a movie that'll be somewhere like in the hour 47 to hour 52 mark. Uh, really excited for more news of when that movie is going to be dropping. But uh, if you did not see, uh, Chris Hemsworth is going to be in the movie. We don't know how. We just know he is. And that somehow through that connection that, that Kevin Smith got to see Avengers Endgame as a personal guest of Thor. Wow. What a life. What a life. Uh, not the life I lead, but uh, I like to I like to watch the life of Kevin Smith. And I'm really happy he's still alive. So uh, really cool. Uh, I'm really curious to see what small bit part and hilarity Chris Hemsworth plays in the movie. I hope he shows up as Thor, to be honest. But uh, we shall see. Endgame, I'm not going to spoil it. But man, can we talk about how it has obliterated all the box off records. And it's opening weekend. And like, I think listening to a Ralph Garman podcast, it was like 144 uh, records just knocked off in its opening weekend, and I'm sure it's still going, just making all of the money. On by May 5th, it has made 2.189 million. That sinks Titanic's 2.187 million. So bye bye Titanic. Uh, that's that's a movie that I I don't really give two raps about. So yeah, happy that Endgame is above that. And then Avatar is the only one left with 2.7879, and it needs to watch out because uh, when I checked the box office yesterday on May 10th. Endgame was already at 2.328 billion and it hadn't even hit its second weekend. Yes, it is going to be competing with Detective Pikachu this weekend. Uh, that is going to eat into the box office some. But literally, when I looked up movie times, when when my dumbass was actually thinking about going to see a movie on Sunday, 
when I hadn't quite realized that it was Mother's Day. Don't worry, I made the right choice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend time with the wonderful mother in my life, uh, the 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 future mother of one of my children. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna spend time with Heather. But uh, when I was thinking about that, there were actually more opportunities to go see Endgame than there were Detective Pikachu. Sorry, Corey. Hopefully, we'll get to see it on Monday if I get my paper finished. But uh, I'll, I'll never mind. I shouldn't talk about messaging one of my friends here on the podcast because that's neither here nor there. Hopefully, I will get to go see Detective Pikachu pretty soon. But uh, I would I would also be willing to go see Endgame again. Just saying, um, there there's been uh, so lots of information about Avengers Endgame. But you know, I think I think I really am just gonna be saving a lot of that information for when I talk to Danny about everything. What we did get news of is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three is uh, set to to shoot next year. So you know, James Gunn this year is actually filming Suicide Squad end of 2019 and if he gets it done sure he's going to be doing guardians of the galaxy volume 3 with all of the cast returning and i could not be more excited by that news um yeah it's so so freaking good please 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 i would like to see it but if you're wondering uh i've heard people say that the next movies are black widow and then the eternals and then shang chi and then you would get guardians of the galaxy volume 3 but we they haven't announced it and actually i think what kevin feige said it Either they him or Bob Iger that the news was going to be late summer. So that could be July at Comic-Con or more likely D23 in August. So we shall see. Uh, there's news of Lord and Miller penning a nine-figure Sony Marvel deal at Sony Pictures Television. It's a massive five-year overall deal that gives the duo a, a new home. They used to be at 20th Century Fox. Their contract came up, so now they're with Sony. And uh, multiple studios courted them, but now they get the chance to develop live action and animated series, doing comedy, drama. Uh, they can develop their own personal projects for both network, cable, and streaming platforms. They can develop and supervise their other writers' projects. And the duo is going to be involved in developing a whole suite of television series based on Sony's Marvel characters. So, wow. Lots more. And if you liked Into the Spider-Verse, Lord and Miller had something to do with that. So, uh excitement abounds christopher marcus and if you don't know who that is that is half of the amazing script writing duo marcus and mcphilly think uh, endgame infinity war civil war captain america winter soldier they even did uh, thor of the dark world i think but uh christopher marcus wants to write moon knight and all i have to say to that is please please sir let's get moon knight a movie television something yes Please, that would be amazing. And I think basically in, in the MCU, Christopher Marcus and uh, and McFeely, really his writing partner, can do what they want to do. So, hey, yeah, please do some Moon Knight. That would be badass. Uh, we got Fantastic Beasts 3. The filming is delayed by one year. It's supposed to be 2020, but now it's going to be uh, 2021. This is reported based on available dates for filming locations changing, as well as to give time to hone the script based off notes. Uh, Warner Brothers Pictures chairman Toby Emmerich said that the new release date will, quote, Give the filmmakers time and space to allow their artistry to truly flourish and develop the best possible film to our fans. End quote. I mean, come on, Voldemort knows they need to do something. Since the second movie made six hundred fifty three point six million compared to the first movie's eight hundred fourteen million. Yes, I know we're talking millions and all of us will be lucky to be failures not making making that amount of money. But uh, there's a lot of Harry Potter fans out there. They're still making tons of money with all the Universal stuff. You know, they're doing a new ride in Florida, and there's there's news of expansions for the Hollywood version of Harry Potter. 
they're doing a whole dark arts thing this year here in Hollywood. So why not take the time to to make the third movie be one that maybe brings back all the fans? I did dig dig the crimes of Grimdelwald. I actually thought it was a good movie, but but maybe it could be even better. And uh, I say why not? Uh, we talked about James Gunn, and why not talk some more about him? In this case, we're going to talk about the Suicide Squad. Added David Desmalchin to the Suicide Squad as a polka dot man, and uh, also rumor of Michael Rooker being courted to play king shark <laughs> wow what a what a world we live in where the first news of polka dot man and king shark being in the suicide squad which is the name of the movie actually actually is a thing <laughs> holy holy gamoli and if you're like i don't really know who david desmalchin is you you should he he was in ant-man he was in ant-man and the wasp as part of scott lang's uh ex-con crew he was in the dark knight the movie's Prisoner, Bird Box, and uh, yeah, he he gets to be in uh, in the Suicide Squad as a polka dot man, and and pre- presumably throwing polka dots off of his suit to uh, to do good stuff as a bad guy, and then Michael Rooker, who's been in like so many different James Gunn projects as King Shark, yes, why why not? Why not, friends? Uh, oh, man, a trailer I didn't talk about. The first Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. This was shared by Corey on Laugh It Up Fuzzballs. Man, did that trailer suck. But also, did it ever end up with a whole bunch of internet backlash? A lot of people still loving on that Sega franchise. Uh, the director, Jeff Fowler, actually uh, reacted to it and said there's going to be a redesign. I do not envy him spending the money on this because the movie's supposed to come out November 8th of this year. But we'll see. Honestly, I thought that the whole movie looked bad. It wasn't just the design of Sonic, especially Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. But uh, time will tell when this movie comes out. But frankly, even with the redesign, I don't really, I don't really care to see it until it like comes out like to rent on a red box or something but uh yeah we'll 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 have news as this goes out uh other news patty jenkins did share a new uh, wonder woman 1984 image for gal gadot's birthday nothing flashy in this uh there are some cool images that you can search online for the movie coming to theaters june 5th 2020 i uh, i really dig this one picture of professor minerva in a museum among taxidermy but uh there's an also an image of the wonder woman costume it looks really rad and uh chris pines in an image and we all know gal gadot is beautiful and and that's true in this shiny new photo shared by patty jenkins which uh really doesn't tell you anything about the movie but uh Sure, it looks cool and arty. We got a new Child's Play poster. This poster pits Chucky against Woody. Yes, you have to love this movie, which will feature the voice talent of Mark Hamill and a killer doll embracing its release date at the same time as Toy Story 4. Uh, the Chucky Films Twitter said, There's a new sheriff in town. Meet your new best friend on June 21st. Way too good. Seriously, check it out, friends. And speaking of Toy Story 4, uh, if you want details on this movie, you can find lots of details online from people who got a sneak peek with a, a little thing that happened at Pixar. The reactions got me excited. Uh, this story is going to find Cowboy Woody and uh, hastily assembled newcomer Forky stranded far from home, finding help from old friend Bo Peep and Canadian stunt toy Duke Kaboom, even as they confront a new threat in a vintage baby doll named Gabby Gabby and her ventriloquist dummy henchman. Read reports of scary business and crazy attention to detail from the animators, including like just caring about all the dust that's in this this uh, antique store. And then, of course, you're going to have Buzz and the gang off to rescue Woody. Since these movies have always been about rescuing friends, uh, there's going to be hijinks at a carnival. And go and read all the stuff for yourself. But but the result of me finding 
finding all this information and hearing about it. It's just some new excitement for the movie. I mean, it is the first Pixar film shot in widescreen, courtesy of new technology. They have new technology in the RenderMan stuff. Really lots of amazing stuff ahead. And maybe Woody will survive the weekend up against a murderous AI doll. I mean, you get Tom Hanks coming back. You're going to get uh, uh, Buzz. What's uh, Tim Armstrong, right? No, maybe. Yeah, Tim Armstrong. Yeah, that guy from Home Improvement. Uh, Tony Hill is the voice of Forky. Annie Potts coming back as Bo Peep. Keanu Reeves is Duke Kaboom, and that's a great name. And then uh, Christina Hendricks as the Bad Dolly, Gabby Gabby. And and lots more voice talent coming back. Fun stuff. Uh, If you didn't get a chance, and I haven't got a chance to review it yet, but Detective Comics 1000, it was really good. I'm going to talk about it, not on this podcast, but probably one in the future. Sold half a million copies. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pull this one out, and I'll be like, Danny, we have to talk about this comic. So, uh, man, but half a million copies, way to go. And Detective Comics 1000, that's a crazy milestone. It's righteous. Really good. And uh, Wonder Woman's fighting uh, fighting the bad CGI monster in Justice League right now, in case you were wondering. And Bad Flash just did something with Cyborg. Anyways, <laughs> the last uh, little comic news, Dark Phoenix reshoots have changed the third act of the film. If reports are true, uh, there was a climactic ending in space that has now kidnapped X-Men on a military train. Reportedly, uh, they also changed the look of the Phoenix from being flame, uh, really flamey to uh, more cosmic. We're going to see how it all turns out on June 7th, but I am ready to see this final film in Fox's X-Men franchise before we get the MCU version, whenever that's going to happen, probably like four or five years. Honestly, I am looking forward... More to the Fantastic Foursome in the MCU than when we're going to get the X-Men. But uh, we'll see what the next big story of the MCU is. There's lots of questions. We have to watch Far From Home first. And that trailer looked great. So uh, there you go. But Dark Phoenix coming soon. June 7th is not far away. But I guess that'll take us to the small screen Star Wars sci-fi superhero synopsis. Uh, The first thing to talk about Game of Thrones Season 8 Episode 3, The Long Night. And uh, episode four, The Last of the Starks. I think I've actually decided that for Game of Thrones, I'm going to talk about this entire season when it's all over. Long night, if you were waiting for the the confrontation with the Night King and uh, all of his undead millions, it's going to happen. You want dragons? It's there. Really, really dark. Lots of lots of action and a big surprise ending. And uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it. it. It was like a horror movie. It was tense and my heart couldn't take it. And episode three was just crazy wild banana stuff it was it was really good i enjoyed it at the end i was like man this is the true whatever it takes i think i even sent a tweet or is that what you call it a tweet <laughs> whatever about it um i i just wow and and all oh, the tension and the undead and there's just some really great cinematography and uh overall it was just a really really enjoyable episode episode four the last of the starks Eh, I I I was I didn't like it as much as I liked episode three. Uh, I I see where they're taking things, but uh, and I didn't see the Starbucks cup. A lot of people complained about a Starbucks cup that appeared in the scene. I actually saw it later from other people, and then I saw a really cool meme or image of of, of a couple of characters eating McDonald's, <laughs> which was fun, but not in the in the episode. But the last of the Starks is is taking us to the final confrontation with uh, Cersei, and uh, and finally had had a moment where where a character dies, where where you might be shocked, and uh, lots of interplay, and uh, there's a big secret going on in uh in the show, which uh, will have have some results and some consequences, and we shall see how it all how it all shakes out when everything is said and done. But uh, I really like the moments with uh, Arya Stark, and. Uh, and uh, yeah, I uh, I thought it was good, and and poor Gendry, but uh, you'll have to watch to to see why that's my reaction. Um, 
Lots of moments for John. Oh, the opening of episode four is just, whoa, it's really good. Really good. And I think maybe that's the problem. Just the opening was so good. I was like, oh, I just couldn't keep that momentum. But uh, there's there's lots of good stuff, and we're, we're finally going to get to King's Landing. And I think uh, that's what the final two episodes will be. And uh, I look forward to it, and we'll talk more about Game of Thrones later. Um, next up, Cloak and Dagger, season two, episode five, alignment chart. Tandy is back from the Dark Force Dimension, which sparks tension between her and Tyrone, and there's a bunch of new stuff to contend with concerning Connors. If you forgot, that is the name of the crooked cop who killed Tyrone's brother, and uh, now uh, Tyrone is currently wanted for the murder of this man. We get a fun heist and a lot of moments regarding what justice really looks like. Tyrone's parentals show up, and, and we also get whether certain characters are telling the truth, all within the new wrinkle of the power structure of New Orleans bad guys. While Tyrone deals with everything this brings to him, Tandy is on a mission to help the women being trafficked in the city, seeking down leads courtesy of the support group she's been working with. It leads to some baddest moments for Dagger that also ends with a oh, what the shit moment at the end. What stinks is Ty and Tandy not working together, but I get that the story needs to include some tension between them that will hopefully ultimately bring them together in the end. Uh, and the show is Cloak and Dagger, and if you know anything about them, they're going to have to come together at some point. I did dig that this episode used a frame tell method to tell it all with Tandy telling a parable about a farmer and a viper which frames everything that goes down the shows use this uh, this technique before and I dig them using it again episode 6 b-sides this whole episode uses a scene from the dark force dimension and a new bad guy I'll keep secret for now to show a bunch of different fake realities for an imperiled Tandy the result is us learning a lot about Tandy's traumatic history her hopes her aspirations and also just the reveal of who the season 2 big bad is going to be bonus for connections to stuff from season 1 and tying into the end of the previous episode this is heartbreaking and fascinating and I dig the hallucinatory alternate reality stuff even better they find more wonderful ways to deal with issues of race and class but gone though is any of the plot going on for Tyrone and Bridget since this is just a Tandy episode uh, I guess every episode or every season of the show needs an episode all inside the mind of one character and this is the one in this season and we're gonna have to wait and see how this drives the last four episodes of the show uh, but it is weird and excellent and one of those episodes where I was falling asleep but it was just wild enough to hold my attention and keep me awake also an episode that demanded I watch it one more time before talking about it uh, this episode is about hope and somehow it still ends with hopelessness it is good stuff next up Gotham season 5 episode 12 the beginning and what I should really say is the end the cheesy, not as good as promised Batman first episode, where the Dark Knight doesn't even look that good, and all the younger characters we learned to semi like are replaced by older actors, happened. Heck, we don't even really see Bruce Wayne in this, other than the usual lame excuses from Alfred. But there, there is some goodness, I suppose. Uh, Penguin and Riddler are okay, even, and, uh, even if the way they made penguin poorly was sort of lame to me at least he had the monocle and i dig the actress playing old cat really looks like the younger actress but the entire promised joker stuff was so melodramatic and ultimately anticlimactic and underwhelming like seriously dumb and know it all going down back at ace chemicals does not make it better there was a moment where gordon had a stash in the beginning and i was on board and excited but like the entirety of the show they wasted that and shaved it off uh, the show was messy and frustrating, but sometimes, I will admit, made me smile guiltily. I often described it as the ex who hit me that I kept going back to, um, which is a bad analogy, but it is the way I felt. 
uh, hooray, I guess. I've made it through five seasons, and now I can celebrate that there is no more. Sad to say, it has soured me on Batman TV, and I will not be watching the Alfred show most likely. But I, I'm lying, because when the Batman show is on CW, I'm going to watch it. Uh, if you want to watch the Alfred show instead of me, though, and provide reviews for the show, let me know. Uh, like Danny was doing for Walking Dead and might might do again this summer when he catches up on The Walking Dead. This last episode was just totally paint by numbers and truly they probably should have ended it with the penultimate episode but I guess that makes sense because they didn't know when to stop when things were good or better at least and uh, that that's what they've been doing for five seasons. Uh, Barbara is in the Gotham Mommy, a future Batgirl rises to power in this episode which I'll admit I did like since her character was the best new part of the pseudo Batman mythos also cool she has beautiful long red hair like her daughter will someday let's also forget for a moment that bruce and selena have aged 10 years but no one else in the show looks any older other than a little pudge on penguin ugh man there there is a nice little peer moment to call back to the first season little vignettes meant to wrap everything up into a nice neat bow but i think by the end it just looks like a present wrapped by yours truly i mean i i do i wrap presents like i podcast as best as i can but ultimately an enjoyable mess uh in the episode you learn if echo is harley quinn whether jeremiah velasco is a good joker uh, ultimately, this is all crazy, messed up, face, maniacal orchestration and a show for getting better villains, including Penguin and Riddler, who end his cowers. Not to mention the complete exclusion of Scarecrow and Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze and Victor Zaz and more. Man, once I had hoped this show had awesome plans for Harvey Dent, but it's pretty obvious I felt me- meh about the end of this ep- episode, episode show, whatever the fuck it was. Fuck you, Gotham. I'm happy, though, since it's over. And few what a ride of emotions. And yes, Jen, you're welcome on the show this summer for us to talk all about Gotham and whatever geeky stuff you want. The beginning. Uh, the end of gotham wahoo wahoo ding dong gotham's gone gotham's gone bad bad man ba, 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 da, ba, ba, da, ba. fuck you gotham <laughs> but we'll move we'll move on to a uh, a show that is much better than gotham the flash season five episode 20 yes the slosh talking about the flash this episode is entitled gone rogue excess is back from the future but not because barry saw the error of his ways and now team flash has to contend with not only her uh but three rogues from previous episodes that get a chance to return i certainly dig weather witch insect queen whatever but i, I hooted when i i saw uh, Ragdoll was going to get more love. He's so dang creepy and a fun baddie to watch. Long and short is Nora may or may not be a villain, but the true value of this episode is in Barry figuring out what kind of daddy wants to be, learning to trust again. Yes, this is a filler episode, but it's the wonderful cream kind of filler uh, with these rogues back in action. It, it was certainly enjoyable. There's uh, nice moments for Cisco and Caitlin and Ralph, and who knew that the writers could find a way to use the Book of Ralph so much and also finally answer my question about whether there is chemistry between Miss Frost and Mr. Dibney. You'll have to watch the show for that answer. There's shoutouts to a different version of Mirror Master, a Sex in the City reference, reference, which is actually funny. Gail Simone gets love, which makes sense since Ragdoll is in her Secret Six book. And, uh... What else? The comic name of XS is is Nora's fake identity, which I thought was nice. Even a nod to current fantastic Flash comic writer Joshua Williamson. The end gets back to Cicada, makes the whole Killer Frost family episodes finally tie into that plot. And overall, this was fun filler. 
And I didn't even mention my love of the negative speed force in this episode. I really dug it. Episode 21, The Girl with the Red Lightning. So the title here makes sense with the last thing I said. And it's time to deal with both Nora and Shikata. No, that's not my name. Team Flash does call her that. And Cicada 2.0. But I I, I think I like the, the latter better. There's lots going on in this episode. Maybe a bit too much. There's Nora's connection to the... Cicada 2.0, the metahuman cure, and lots of metas we've never seen before. The super complicated sciencey bomb plan of the villain, more parental speeches between the Allens, Joe West realizing what a boss he is, Thawne in the future being killed by his own negative speed force, Ralph suddenly comprehending time travel and its consequences, and like I said, a whole bunch. But the entire point is some cool fight sequences, the lovely character interactions a lot of us come to the show for, and then the big reveal at the end which I really thought was rad. Sure, there could have been lots of different ways to get to that, but this is a comic book show and told over 22 episodes, and it cannot all be perfect. Certainly has me stoked for the season finale. Seriously been waiting for it all to get here amongst all the many stories told this year in Flash. When of the episode is Cisco saying he's going to science the crap out of something? Uh, when the tech and words don't make sense, just make me laugh, friends. And I really did like this episode, but man, was it chock full of stuff requiring a rewatch to completely get all of it. Arrow Season 7, Episode 20, Confessions. Welcome to the Big Puzzle Box episode where they they take the end of a Team Arrow mission and then reveal what went down courtesy of questioning by the SCPD led by Dinah. It's one of those episodes where it's a reveal after reveal and just when you think you know what went down, one more character talking and another surprise and it all ends with one heck of a surprise. Uh, a classic Arrow character returns, which is fun. Hell, they find a way to tie into events from previous seasons, including Mirakuru and the Ra's al Ghul stuff, while still dealing with all these battles, both personal and city-saving, against Emiko and the Ninth Circle. There's some problematic moral stuff here for the team, and they never really do quite deal with the entire vigilantes working for the police, especially since they are completely at odds in this episode, and the end is all sorts of gray area and the choices made, but there's a Big Bang ending which directly leads in the next episode, and finally Finally, let's Oliver know one of Emiko's big secrets that unfortunately was revealed a couple episodes back, but whatever. It, it was nice. I liked, I liked the way they did the whole puzzle box thing. Episode twenty-one, Living Proof. Well, hello, Arrow, and doing an episode where a large part is Oliver and his brain discussing everything that's gone down with a character from the past. Meanwhile, the rest of Team Arrow is intent on saving the life of Oliver Queen. Uh, the flash-forward timeline also gets some love, even if I don't truly care about everything going down in the future. It's way too tied into the current timeline, with reveals based on what we see in current time, and that gimmick, unfortunately, has gotten old. I'd almost rather have them trade back and forth between full episodes, since the future one where they just stayed there was something I really liked. Like, you know, just, just split it up. You got 22 episodes, do 11 in the past or current time and 11 in the future or however you do it, like maybe five or six in the future and then just and break them up there where we can just watch the show and then you're like, oh yeah, I did sort of learn that. Um, there is a specific example of, uh, of the way they do this just not being so great because seeing certain characters in the future kind of messes up the stakes in the current timeline. Uh, th there was one, you know, they wanted they wanted all these stakes for this one moment, and there's there's just nothing if you're even ha paying half attention. Whenever Ollie deals with the stuff in his mind and with that particular character, I did really end up liking this episode. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to save what is their penultimate episode. I mean, the best action was uh, technically all in Oliver's head, but it, it was fun to watch. Uh, we'll see how the last episode wraps this all up. I certainly like the title of the next episode, You Have Saved the City. 
So uh, we'll see how everything with with Emiko Queen and the Ninth Circle goes down. But ultimately, I think they just spent a little bit too much time with like Diaz and the Longbow Hunters instead of uh, actually just uh, sticking with what's going on here with Emiko stuff. But, you know, it was fun. Uh, Supergirl Season 4, Episode 19, American Dreamer. And if you want a superhero show to beautifully provide an episode about being open and honest with yourself look no further than supergirl that has been killing it this season Kara is focusing on being a mild-mannered reporter here trying to take down lex with the power of the press and the result is nia neal's dreamer getting to be an awesome superhero add to that brainy doing mind palace trauma investigation with ptsd james olsen which is really great and then james sister kelly finally finding a good spot on the cast connected to alex didn't like her initially, but now I totally ship her with Alex. Uh, Lockwood's forces are working with government sanction, and it is turning out just as bad as it should, but not for them, but for the other aliens who are afraid of this this whole new world. And the show is dealing with immigration in a unique aliens versus humans way and doing it very good. There's new wrinkles involving a company called Ameritech, and then the good inner dynamics of the friendship between Kara the Reporter and Lena Luthor. Did I mention yet that I just really dig Dreamer superpowers in action multiple times on screen? She's also goofy and honest and really lovely later in the episode. And the fact that she's a trans woman, is it's set in the show, but it's just a part of who she is. It's not a big deal to be touted throughout the episode. It's just a reality of life. People are different, but they're still people. And I really like Nyanyal's connections to both aliens and humans being explored. Also, just really love when Kara uses her powers as a reporter helping others, but not out in the blue uniform with an S on her chest. Uh, and and she she does she does find ways to to use her power secretly, and it's lovely. And so is this episode. American Dreamer was really a nice episode. Episode twenty. Will the real Miss Tessmacher please stand up? Please stand up. No, sorry, I'm not going to go into to some slim shady, but we're finally headed back to Kaznia. And in this case, it's with mild-mannered Kara and her bestie, Lena Luthor. Manga reveals that include Eve Tessmacher and Red Daughter. We also get a lovely story for Alex and Kelly Olsen, which made my shipping dreams come closer to fruition. Uh, also a reveal of Kelly's sexuality that is told in another one of those lovely ways where it's just a fact about a person and not a big revelation. That And I just really love the show and the way they, they deal with, uh, with issues of subaltern people. I really dig all this stuff in Kaznia. And kudos to the show for keeping Lex Luthor menace, even when he's not on screen also a moment between lena and Kara regarding secrets which is just done so well i feel bad that supergirl can't tell the world or her best friend about her entire life but there are reasons for that even if it is a tough choice this this show's just great and then there's lockwood on the warpath because the consequences of his actions because he's an asshole and even though he's a megalomaniac and really always just been an asshole xenophobic fuck it, 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 they do such a good job and I know it's not good that James Olsen's Harnell powers have brought out more menace from, from the bad guy and also I, I just have to talk about how I love actor Sam Witwer and how I'm mildly embarrassed that I didn't put two and two together that this this actor is the voice of Darth Maul that has even done the voice of Emperor Palpatine's in uh in in rebels and video games and color me star wars embarrassed if you're wondering what color star wars embarrassed is i think it's a shade of ewok brown but uh i love i love sam what on the show and now now i know what that voice actor looks like in real real life and uh, on the show i hate him but that that just proves that he's doing a good job as an actor it's the mark of a good villain and uh also hooray in this episode for marsh man martian manhunter being back in action and red daughter stuff and a great episode leading to the final two episodes for the season hooray for supergirl i really think it probably has been the best of these seasons 
of uh of the DCW. But another show that's that's right behind it is Legends of Tomorrow, season four, episode thirteen. This episode is titled Egg McGuffin. <laughs> I love their titles. But the battle against Neuron continues with the show hitting all its comedic beats. Yes, it's the story about unlikely heroes, but it's also just zany hilarity and the best sitcom of wacky roommates that you're likely to find in this strange DCW show. This week you get Ray dealing with his encounter with Neuron and Nate and Zari romance a la Indiana Jones. The charming cast of characters do all sorts of stuff, including Mick at a convention where his writing nom de plume is famous, but no one knows that the brute who likes to burn things, is the sensitive writer all the romance lovers are gaga for, including Mona. I mean, seriously, the con is called Romanticon, and one of mixed novels is called Heat Waves. It's really wonderful. Also, the, the romantic bonding time for Sarah and Eva here, and maybe you didn't hear me mention it, but I did say Indiana Jones. So you get Nate and Zari being Indy and Marion Raverwood dealing with Nazis and an adventurous club in 1933 that is tied to a mysterious golden egg. And somehow the show still finds time for everything going on with Ray and Gary. And uh, yeah, it's it's just, wow, it's just wonderful. It's great. I love it. It is quality television. Episode 14, Nip Stuck. <laughs> Man, I remember when Nip Tuck was my show, and I just saw that. I was like, what, what is this going to be about? Well, we'll watch and find out. Uh, we're off to the Donner Pass and the Sierra Nevada for some character growth, romantic warming of that golden egg I mentioned, workplace comedy, the usual time travel silliness, and so much more. I mean, uh, the... Uh, one of the points of this episode is uh, the Time Bureau having suddenly smooth operator Gary with hypnotizing powers. And no, I did not say that wrong. And no, I will not explain it. Then we get an ancestor of Constantine, which is Matt Ryan in a wig playing a semi-historical character. And I say semi-historical, provided you don't know anything about Constantine and Rome in the Byzantine age. Anywho, this is another fun episode of the show, which is just solid legends. And uh, it's... It, it, Finishes with an incredible 10 or so minutes at the end. Uh, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to the final two episodes. And I think maybe this is a good example of a show just doing 16 episodes. Uh, really, really hitting its beats. But Legends is just wild stuff. It includes a kiss which may may weird you out or haunt your dreams. Not to mention some real quality time with Constantine. I think the thing I love about this silly show is they've earned all the silly with the work that the characters and writers have put in over four seasons. Yes, it's weird and wow, but it's what you want. And by embracing both comedic sitcom and workplace drama, in addition to magical wonder elements, the legends of tomorrow, it's just wonderful television. Also big points for the surprising reveal of part of demon, demon Niren's plans, which is magically unexpected, but lovingly points back to previous episodes and way to go legends but that's enough television and finally i'm i'm gonna i know we're already like at 45 minutes but we're gonna talk some comics because i have some comics to to catch up on so we're just gonna get right into in the stacks and do saga the swamp thing book three uh we're gonna talk a bunch of trades that i've read about and i've had notes for for the longest time but haven't haven't talked about and we're finally gonna do it this is written by alan moore artist uh stephen Bissett and john toddlebond but also stan watch Rick Veach, Alfredo Alcala, and Ron Randall, colored by Tatiana Wood. This is issues 35 to 42, and it keeps up with the Alan Moore goodness that is this Swamp Thing. This, this, I like this so much that I actually purchased books 4 to 6 uh, to read later. And spoiler, I've already read them. I just haven't talked about them or written notes. Uh, but uh, you you know, I am always find time to read comics and and. Jeebus, I have a huge pile by my bed that's been read but not talked about and another pile to read. But anywho, in this collection of Swampy, 
It finally gets to John Constantine showing up to unravel more mystery for Swamp Thing. There's a unique take on werewolves, water vampires, which connect to a past story of Swamp Thing, a radical environmental message in the story of Nukeface, and more. If you ever wondered how Swamp Thing discovered that he could basically go anywhere via husks, you'll need to look no further than this book. Somehow it's all revealed in a lovely romantic way with Abby Arcane all in one issue. On the Rosewood watery vampire front, there's one single panel which just delights me showing the limits or perhaps absence the limits for Swamp Thing's powers. It's also drawn so lovely, and you know the dialogue is going to be good when Alan Moore is involved. I often forget how much I like John Constantine and his origins are here. No Swampy, no Hellblazer, and I love the sound effects of the Green Man, formerly thought to be Alec Holland as he grows in new places. Imagery is awesome too. Besides all the radical stuff I've mentioned, there's a final story with imagery of slavery's abuses in the plantation south. All of this is the beginnings of a big evil Swamp Thing. Uh, and a big evil that, that Swamp Thing's going to have to contend with. It's so dang good, and if you've never read Swamp Thing, you really are missing out, friends. And stay tuned when I go over books four to six. Uh, actually, I've read books four and five. I need to finish book six, but then I'll talk about all of it. Uh, Deadly Class, volume one. Reagan Youth, you may remember me saying I decided to read this comic since the show was going on, especially because there is animated artwork in the show that comes straight from the comics written by Rick Remender with art by Wes Craig. Both are co-creators of this radicalness, and the color is Lee Lowbridge. If you like the show, it is a safe bet that you're going to dig this. Well, the first season uh, has finished, and I, I've finished watching it. I can say that the first six issues line up with the first couple episodes and then go crazy psychedelic and homicidal in Vegas. Good news is... Uh, that that the show could go that way too and it does basically uh this whole comic is a lovely reminiscence back to 1987 following marcus as he winds up in a high school for assassins other students range from gangsters to yakuza to hispanic cartel to punk rock weirdos and as comicsology says better than me Welcome to the most brutal high school on earth, where the world's top crime family send the next generation of assassins to be trained. Murder is an art, killing is a craft. At King's Dominion, high school for the deadly arts, the dagger in your back isn't always metaphorical, nor is your fellow classmates poison, end quote. I mean, seriously, the hijinks of Marcus and all the other kids is so dang good, and the art is kinetic, and it just makes you want to keep turning the pages. I really did breeze through this trade, and I had to remind myself that I had school stuff to do and couldn't keep reading, but spoiler, I've actually finished all of Deadly Class. I'm completely finished, but I'm going to have to talk about it later. Uh, Deadly Class is a comic that I heard about from my oldest kiddo, and somehow I ended up with all of her copies nestled in with all my comics. I, I do pull new issues from my wonderful child. In fact, there was a new issue that I pulled just this week, um, and uh, I've always wanted to get through them, and get through them I did, but what can I say without spoiling the awesomeness of this incredibly good and different enough from the television show comic that you can read side by side, uh, while you enjoy the television, but not spoil everything. It feels authentic to being a kid in the 1980s. It's just enough for all of us who grew up in that time to fire up our nostalgia. The way it's all drawn out is fan-fucking-tastic. And this is just six issues and so much goes down. As much as I love the TV adaptation and can honestly say I dig the comic so much more. Of course, I say that knowing I probably said the opposite about the show. Uh, they're both good. Check them both out. I, I've read a bunch more Deadly Class like I said, is in every issue that's been out so far other than the newest one that I pulled for my kid. They're crazy good. I am going to save them for a future episode, which as of now seems like it's just going to be another big comic palooza. Like seriously, there are three trades of Deadly Class, another 15 or 17 loose issues of it. Let's not even mention there's a stack of assorted comics that I've read and not read notes about that sitting to my left below the comics and trades I plan to read at some point. Oh my goodness. I'm sure there's also comics in my pull box at the comic store. Um, basically promised comic blues in the future 
but I did write notes for some comics that I read a while back, and uh, it's finally gonna be on the recording. So let's talk Captain America issue six ninety five to seven ten and annual number one issue six ninety five to seven hundred are all written by Mark Wade, art by Chris Samney, and colored by Matthew Wilson. Uh, it's two stories called Home of the Brave and Out of Time. Home of the Brave is the first three issues, and if you missed Apple Pie, Cap fighting neo-Nazis, you lead, need look no further than this. This is Cap on a road trip through rural America, exploring who he is, how the world relates to him after the whole mess in Secret Empire. Cap is just the down-home hero who represents the best of standing up for the little guy so much that an entire Nebraskan town renames itself after him for his heroics. He punches Nazis and punch ballet acrobatics. He brings back people's belief and hope and also ends up going toe-to-toe with the swordsman and Craven the Hunter. The new threat of Rampart ends up with Cap being a man out of time again in a dystopic version of the United States. The Nazis apparently won, and now Cap has to figure out how to preserve his country against powerful forces both in the domestic terrorist realm and the global American flag-hating kind realm. The fact that one of the future heroines insists on calling him Bomb Pop throughout this makes me smile. Also, good Hulk and Thing stuff, and it's all concluded in the 700 issue of Cap. Watching the Star-Spangled Hero tried to save the United States as its leader against insurmountable odds is so good and the way he ultimately fixes it is heartbreaking and classic cap hope is not a plan but it's necessary to win and this is really lovely and classic Captain America the art throughout is is classic old school Captain America and I just smiled the whole time I read all this Mark Wade gets his character and brings him back to fans who love him and maybe were put off by the Hydra cap issue 700 also includes a story by Wade using archive art from Jack Kirby that is thoroughly enjoyable cap beating Hydra skulls and also tangling with the brawler and a story connected to LMDs it's good it's simple cap and it's it's really good uh, issues 701 to 704, still Mark Wade, but the art is now primarily Leonardo Romero. Art assists on issues include Adam Hughes, J.G. Jones, Rod Reese, Howard Chaikin, Alan Davis, and Mark Farmer. Color on the first issue is uh, Matthew Wilson and Adam Hughes and Paul Mounts, but then switches to Jordi Belair with assists by Rod Reese, Jesus Abertov, and Irma Canivola. That's K-N-I-I-V-I-L-A. Sorry if I said your name wrong. Irma. But uh, this story is called Promised Land. It goes in the future of the 24th century and follows Steve Rogers' descendant, Jack Rogers, and how he tries to save his son, Steve, who is dying from super soldier serum. Apparently, Cap's blood has endowed the world with powers and resulted in peace for mankind and the Kree. But of course, peace is always too much to hope for. And now Jack, who is a historian, so you know I'm going to love all this has to... This includes, he has to try and figure out what's really going on. The wildness includes stories from Hero Cap's past and Red School and Kree and so much more. There's a hidden secret behind the super soldier serum that has saved the world. And Jack may not be his great, great, great grandfather, but following his heroic actions is very fun. I mean, come on, mentions of Stark Wars that make historians able to view the past with fragments of the time stone and then evils of the past becoming partners to gain good ends with bad means plus Kree evil. It, this is always going to be welcome. And, and, and when I make mine Marvel, I, I enjoy when they uh, include a historian as one of the heroes. I also dig watching Cap's descendant take on overwhelming forces and using his brains rather than his brawn to overcome all because of his love for an alien son. That is classic Captain America love for others and Mark Wade tells a good future story. 
So I think this is a good spot to go over annual number one, written by Teeny Howard, pencils by Chris Sprouse with Ron Lim, ink by Carl Story, Walden Wong, and Scott Hanna, and color by Jesus Abertov, Eric Arsaniega, and Israel Silva. Hooray for a 1944 World War II story with Cap and Bucky behind the lines assisting escapees from a Nazi death camp. Captain America is what is best about the American dream, and this story encapsulates this so well. He fights for those who can't fight for themselves, even if they live differently than him. He punches injustice and evil in the face, and it does not hurt to have friends like Bucky and the Howling Commandos. While this story has nothing to do with what went down before or after this annual, it is just good Cap storytelling with lovely art and the wonderfulness that is Captain America. Hooray. For the next issues, 705 to 710, I honestly, uh, the the numbering system goes back to, to 1 to 6, but they, they include the legacy numbering, and uh, I really enjoy that they do that. I like having the, the ones for people, but also that uh, that legacy. This is a new creative team, and writer Ta-Nehisi Coates, penciler Lionel Francis Yu, inker Jerry Allen Gwillen, and color artist Sonny Go. Francis Yu sometimes does some of the inking with Allen Gwillen as well. Coates' work with Black Panther and Wakanda is heralded by a lot of folks, so I was really curious what he was going to bring to Steve Rogers' story. His first arc is one called Winter in America. You knew it would only be a matter of time before consequences from Secret Empire found their way into a Cap story, but it really is done quite well and deals with a new threat from Russia or countries thereabouts. You know it's going to be interesting when mutant baddie Celine Galio is on the team and anti-Hydra. There's also an army of nuke cyborgs threatening the United States, so that's fun. That story involves Sharon Carter, General Thunderbolt Ross, and even the Winter Soldier. Some of the best is Steve dealing with his demons in a country still reeling from his takeover by Hydra, and the moments between him and Sharon are lovely, and all the exposition about life in post-Hydra America is really written well. Then you get some Black Panther and Okoye action, which is no surprise considering the writer. The big bands end... Uh, or I should say the big bads in Russia are, are righteous and the newish bad lady in charge of everything Alexa Lukin is real good it's connected to a 2008 Cap story that I haven't read uh, but what else Taskmaster and Cap desperate to stop the bad guys and save the woman he loves who is a badass in her own right then there's a twist with Alexa's husband which is great and a moment from his wife's past uh, that is really great storytelling I, I really dig what Coates is bringing to the Cap mythos and while I like the down home feeling of Mark Wade's stories I am intrigued by more post Hydra Cap and time will see there's actually a couple more issues that I've read but I haven't written notes about so we will talk more uh, one more Marvel story to talk about Old Man Hawkeye issues 1 to 12 and ho oh boy so this is the story I knew I was going to have to read ever since Mark Miller and Steve McNiven's Old Man Logan entered my life. And that story of Logan working with a blind Hawkeye in a United States ruled by villains is really one of my favorite tells. And uh, the stories in the wasteland are not over. And we finally got a prequel to Old Man Logan centered around Hawkeye, who is not blind yet. He's going blind. Written by Ethan Sachs, art by Marco Cicchetto, and colored by Andre Massa. Issue 7 also has art by Ibrahim Robertson. And this story helps us understand understand how blind Hawkeye ended up on Logan's stoop in Hulk-controlled California. It also tells more story for the ends of many heroes and is ultimately a, a classic revenge tale. Characters that appear in some way, shape, or form include Multiple Man, Claire Temple, Venom, Logan, Ultron 8, Hawkeye, Spider-Kid, Bullseye, Red School, Atlas, The Beetle, Taskmaster, Kate Bishop, Helmet Zemo, Winter Soldier, Songbird, Sentinels, Moonstone, Avalanche, and so much more. Easter eggs abound throughout this gritty dystopic story. I know I said a bunch of names, but you have no clue how each is used and how it ties into this tale, which is part revenge, 
part chase, part love, and all awesome. Even better, it connects to the Hawkeye stuff and Logan story, but still apparently allows time in between for more Hawkeye stories. And this whole thing inspired a new series about Old Man Quill, which is set to start, or it already started in August, and I've actually read the first two issues of it. Um, of all the comics, issue seven is probably my favorite, just for dedicating 19 pages to telling what happened to Clint's Avengers friends. Uh, in the past but this whole story is dynamic and a page turner reading through all 12 issues was so easy and i really felt compelled to finish it even after just reading issue one i was like man i'm just i'm just gonna read 12 issues all in one go and that i did and uh i especially liked it since uh the reveal the reveal of a lot of this was basically meant just for fans like me the wastelands is just such a great place for stories and i really hope for more I'm excited that that the writer of this is doing Old Man Cole right now because uh, really I think I think that uh, Ethan Sachs gets this world and gets these characters and I can tell you from the first two issues of of Old Man Cole that he really does. This is a wonderful story. Uh, Old Man Logan is amazing. Uh, the original Logan trade that I own was one I'm like, I want to read more. And you get more with Old Man Hawkeye. It's on par with that story, and you really should check it out when it becomes a trade. Hawkeye finally gets some much-needed love from an artistic team. Uh, and, and, and still, this is faithful to the character. I mean, really, the word for this is wonderful. And if you want to be punny, you could even call it marvelous. Next up, Weapon X, issues 4 to 27. You know, in the past, I caught up with uh, X-Men Gold, caught up with X-Men Blue, and I finally caught up with Weapon X. Uh, issue 4 starts a whole crossover story called Weapons Immune Destruction, so I'll also be including Weapons Immune Destruction number 1 and Totally Awesome Hulk issues 20 to 22 in the beginnings of this run-through of comics I was behind on. Uh, issue 4, Weapon X, is the prelude to all this, written by Greg Pak, he of Planet Hulk Awesomeness, pencils by Greg Land, Ink by Jay Lyston and colors by Frank D'Armada. The previous issue found Old Man Logan, Sabretooth, Domino, Lady Deathstrike, and Warpath fighting adamantium cyborgs with powers similar to previous Weapon X projects, making this unlikely team up believe that the Weapon X, in Weapon X program might be revived for nefarious purposes. And since the cyborgs hate mutants, it would be to this group's benefit to avoid a sentinel-ish crisis in the future. Issue 4 finds Sabretooth, Logan, and Domino teaming up with the Totally Awesome Hulk, aka Amadeus Cho, to take down a Roxxon oil rig, which might be the new base of the this new evil with all the characters assembled here you know the infiltration of the facility is going to be explosive and boy is it ever it's interesting to combine different characters with different motivations and ideas about loss of life also hulk smash problem is the plan was always to get some hulk dna and even with wins there are loss ends weapons of mutant destruction number one is still pack art by mahmoud azrar and colored by nolan woodard and this is still goes with the mystery deepening and uh Everything going on with the Mutant X program is weird and hell-bent on eradicating mutants. And I guess spoilers, so fair warning while I try to go cursory over all this stuff. There are details here to skip if you want to read and enjoy yourself with virgin eyes. But 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... William Stryker himself is in charge of all this, and now the reverend of a cult of believers in Texas called the Church of Human Potential. Roxxon is connected to the whole program, and our team of healing factor mercenaries and killers is on the trail in Ohio and Oklahoma. There's cyborg cats and explosions, and then details about the type of people volunteering to become cyborg mutant killers. 
Whoa. Uh, and Totally Awesome Hulk issue 20, written by Pack, art by Robert Gill, colored by Woodard. We uh, start in Santa Marco, complete with escaped zoo animals. That might not be the biggest surprise for you in South America. Uh, there's been batches of cyborg mutant killers, and this whole story is all about what the F is Batch H, how it connects Domadeus Cho's Hulk. Considering the efficacy of Batch F, readers certainly wonder what Dr. Alba is up to. There's good detective stuff, but the, this issue's highlights are everything with Cho and Lady Deathstrike and learning more about Striker's Mad Science Church Cyborg program and connecting to the humanity or inhumanity behind it. Weapon X issue 5 is Pack, artist Mark Borstel, and D. Armada on color. Pack is really doing some great work here and finding ways to bring dimensions to both sides of this conflict. And in sad, sad ways, there's still cyborg fights, but this is this is an unraveling mystery and really dang good. More cybernetic animals is also a plus. Totally awesome Hulk. Uh, sorry. Um, what do we got? Lost my place. Lost my place. Lost my place in talking about this. Uh, so we're at Totally Awesome Hulk, issue 21. Pat Gill, Woodard again, and the team for the Hulk side of this tale. Uh, the murder machine using DNA from the team, hunting down the evil bad guys. Experimentation drama continues with a new twist. The splash panel with images used for indoctrination is particularly wonderful. Also, poor Amadeus Cho didn't really know what his good guy self was bargaining for by joining Logan, Sabretooth, Lady Deathstrike, Warpath, and Domino. But yay for Daddy Alpha Logan and his kiddos. Also, I just really got to say how I dig Peck's grasp of the different characters' motivations and character traits. Really good. And the panel hooking to the next is a lot of fun. Weapon X issue 5, which is Pack, Borsal, and Woodard, but also Ibrahim Robertson joining on art. Time to take it to the Serenity Hills, Texas facility, which means Stryker, Dr. Alba, lots of cyborgs, and failed cyborg Hulk experiments, plus more intergroup conflict based on motivations. Amadeus Cho really is a good guy working with the team, not as keen on not murderizing baddies, and the results lead to a radical fighting, both with fist and words between all parties involved, good and bad, which leads in a totally awesome way to a conclusion of Weapon Immune Destruction and Totally Awesome Hulk issue 22. Domino says it best right from go. Hulk Vereen! Woo! I won't ruin this conclusion other than saying it makes me want to read more about Weapon H, which is possible since that's now a comic. But uh, no spoilers since the epic showdown with the Totally Awesome Hulk does include not one but two final creations from Stryker and Alba's nefarious program. Honestly, if this wasn't a 2017 storyline, this would probably be in my top five comics of the last year. It's really good stuff, and I'm happy I kept pulling Weapon X, even if I didn't read it <laughs> as it as it collected dust over 25 issues in my room there was no time like the present to catch up which which isn't the present it's actually the past since the week-long battle with the flu bug that was many many episodes ago anyways I'm, I'm sure you heard me say i wanted more weapon h and well thankfully we're not done with him yet we're on to weapon x issue seven even better the next five issues were one solid team writer greg pack and fred van lent artist mark borstel and ibrahim robertson and colorist frank diarmada the team of logan Sabretooth, Lady Deathstrike, Domino, and Warpath are on the hills of a confused and fleeing Weapon H. And so are Stryker and Dr. Alba. And what's lovely is how this focuses on the new Hulk Vereen creature. Also cool is Logan feeling compassion for Clay. Uh, there's more cyborgs designed to kill mutants and lots more for the latest iteration of them. Um, and these ones are, are a little bit different. 
Um, what else? You think when the team that I'll probably just call Weapon X for now would get along, they, you think they'd get along fine with the new monster with the powers of Wolverine and Hulk, but then you wouldn't get a big confrontation in issue eight. And yes, yes, and more yes. It's just great and amazingly isn't even the whole comic, even though I'd have been more than happy with that. You get a bit more backstory for the awesomely powered experiment being tracked by Weapon X. And then there's the fun addition of another healing factor mutant. I've said it before, but spoilers as we continue. Why not add Laura Kinney to this current, as of this time, Wolverine? Issue 9 gives us much more for Weapon H, Alba, Stryker, and the team while they pursue the monster. Monster? That's a, that's a good misspelling in my notes. While they pursue the monster, searching for his past, uh, which both Logan and Laura know is a bad idea, uh, and Logan and Creed actually disagree. Imagine that. Logan and Creed disappearing on something. Uh, but that's what they do, and it's great. And as we head into issue eight, it can't be good who poor Clay is teamed up with. But there is a lovely reveal of Stryker from the last issue, which I didn't spoil. Uh, I guess I can let slip that the the term Eagle Star is in this. And if that means anything to you, you know a bit more about Weapon H's origins. And this is sort of an origin story for him. It's really cool while he and the evil Lady Doc are being tracked down by a not completely unified team thankfully the manipulations of alba result in another showdown for weapon h and weapon x now including the all-new wolverine which goes down in issue 11 let's just say the conclusion for this part of the story is everything weapon h may be one of my favorite new characters but alas i'll have to wait for collected trades before i read more of his exploits but the way he interacts with the assorted mutants of weapon x is great especially old man logan also like that greg pack knows how to tie up loose ends while also leaving room for great story in the future so very good Issues 12 to 14, still great story by Greg Pack, color by D. Armada, art now by Yildur Sinar. It's back to Santa Marco for Team Weapon X. First immune there to deal with cyborgs, and now it's state-sanctioned super soldiers, all modeled after Nuke on high high on performance enhancing pills no bother though since there's an og version of them to help the quote-unquote good guys it's nuke though i i know it's it's just crazy you know you get warpath having weapon x helping oppressed mutants in another country uh, and then pack finally addresses a certain tension between two characters then there's another fun story for the unlikely team who might technically be an x-men team of sorts uh, issue 15 and 16 are pack riding along with fred van Lent, artist Roland Bashi, who is joined by Andrea Sorrentino on the second issue, and Dear Amato still on color. Uh, I'll admit this isn't my favorite art so far, but the story is really damn great. It's old man Wolverine's birthday, and he's on a team with Sabretooth, and hot damn, this is going to be good, and it is. There's ties to a uh, story from old man Logan, and then uh, Crash Landing that brings even more animalistic combat into the fray. I mean, there's one scene from the Wastelands where old man Logan hails from which is so badass and this is a fun two issues that provides a lot of character moments for logan and victor creed and i loved it even if the art took a step down issue 17 and 19 switches art back to yield Sinar, but the rest of the creative team is the same just the title of the story Sabretooth is in charge to let you know this is going to be different why not pit the team of hunters finding anti-mutant threats to russia uh, to tack a carb carbonadium coils and serial there's a serial killer with a penchant for sucking the life out of anything he can and yes omega red is in this and you may remember him returning when i talked to x-men gold and it seems some writers want to do more with that arsehole ruski then they find a way to tell a story making even omega red complicated and interesting and then pit our anti-heroes against russia's version of the shield called sickle and as all, i always love when they tease uh, on the acronym names, but for the record, they have not revealed what Sickle stands for. 
but the name did appear in X-Men Gold as well. Anywho, there's a three-parter. Victor Creed and Lady Deathstrike continue to be villainous heroes who maybe are up to more. And there's also Baby Tiger and joke about cat memes. Hooray. Issues 20 and 21 are art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz and have our team full on going toe to toe with Sickle beyond the whole Omega Red stuff. Don't fear that character is still part of the fun. Also fun to have Sickle have a mother carrier of its own. Uh, which or a hover carrier of its own, which looks like it shouldn't fly, but does because it's too stubborn to fall down, just like the Russian. There's the Winter Guard, which I dig, considering the whole Avengers fun with them, but even better, a big event, which should ripple as the series goes on. I like the story keeping Sabretooth as team leader and reeling stuff for Logan, which I'm sure is going to go down in another comic that I'm currently pulling. This is really interesting because Ortiz's art is very different. Part anime, part cartoon, very edgy. I like other artists who have worked on this better, but it's certainly kinetic at certain moments, while it's silly at others. There's a big reveal at the end regarding a mysterious connection to Sabretooth that's cool, and now Victor, Lady Deathstrike, Domino, and Omega Red are Weapon X Force in issues 22 and 23. Our duties are back to Yildare Sinar with Pac, Van Lant, and D. Armada doing their thing. Yay for the team now doing bad things, but then Sabretooth's ex, Monet St. Croix, needs finding, and the five-person team, you heard that right, still trying to keep the last issues revealed secret, but warning and such friends uh this rescue means heading to a culty church and then a bunch of other bad guys show up and i'm smiling cover of issue 23 sort of gives that away so i'll just say to be deadpool tenued maybe one of my new favorite cliffhanger sayings and i was a fan of nuke tenued from the past story pool means meta jokes they are laid on thick and there's lots of fighting and side switching and the reveal that who you thought was the villain only works for another kooky religious type and yep Striker is back. The story goes on in issues 24 to 27, but art is now Luca Pizzari, and the team gets much larger after some gladiator pit shenanigans, and Saber's Weapon X-Force is ready to finish the threat of demonic-powered Striker once and for all. Of course, a giant-sized team can't last forever, but then there's the opportunity to fight on a whole different plane of existence, and let's go to hell. But first, hello Azazel, and mentions to bows of... Ah, one last spoiler alert. Three two one mystique i've really dug her being a part of all this and you know when Sabretooth and azazel face off and mystique is in in there it's going to be jealousy and anger and this doesn't disappoint and there's lots of brimstone bamfine and an end to issue 25 which is wonderful and then there's the hellacious weirdness where Sabretooth, deadpool domino mystique and omega red discover their own personal hells and another character from Sabretooth and raven's lives haunts them on the striker's castle where he's tormented by his own hate and it all goes down on earth and down under which i don't mean australia unless there's lots of fire in the double there uh toilets flash backwards in australia so maybe but anywho this whole story about great moments with mr Sabretooth uh does not disappoint at all it's craziness i'm smiling and wowza there are so many comics to catch up on and i'm so damn thrilled that i kept pulling weapon x of x-men blue and gold this is by far the best of the new x titles that popped up in 2017 the way it the way it ends you know the series is over uh but you sort of hope that it wasn't you're like i i would read more and uh you know, even though it's over, I think it really speaks to the exceptional writing of Greg Pak that everything worked with and without Old Mad Logan. It's really crazy, and you get classic villains working as semi-good guys against big threats that are cohesive and spiritual and physical. And uh, overall, it was really astounding. 
I really, really enjoyed Weapon X. Uh, last comics to talk about are books I borrowed from my college library to help with a paper that I wrote about comics working towards social activism. Since they're due next week, when my two different 20-page papers are also due, wanted to make sure I said something about them. First up, The Love is Love Collected Trade. I know I talked about this comic, uh, but this this comic is great. After the devastating shooting that happened at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando that tragically ended the lives of 49 individuals and wounded another 53 you know that that violence was perpetrated out of of awful hatred and intolerance towards the lgbtq community and uh you know no real superheroes existed in the world to to come to the rescue but 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 yes i know that the real superheroes were the police officers and fire personnel and first responders that made the difference on that night in october 2016 but this violence left families and friends and news watchers so devastated but within the sadness you get comic creators uniting to raise money for the victims and the families of the pulse shooting and they show solidarity between these comic creators and the lgbtq community uh, with all the proceeds of the comic going to charity and and basically you get a whole bunch of of moving heartfelt stories both one and two page stories with some of the greatest talent in comics and and as the the publishing website says for idw uh it it basically supports the survivors celebrating the lgbtq community and examining love in today's world all material kindly donated by the writers artists and editors with all proceeds going to the victims survivors and their families uh, a historic comics event it doesn't matter who you love all that matters is you love currently this is in its six protein and the comic features over 250 creators that's writers pencilers artists illustrators inkers and letters i mean some of the famous names this isn't even the list but i'll say some let's see jason aaron mark and draco brian michael bendis mark bernard and matt bomer tamra bonville and stephen Bierne, dan didio paul dini jerry duggan al ewing mitch gerards kieran gillen mark guggenheim jonathan hickman hi-fi jason inman phil Jimenez. Jock, Dan Jurgens, Tom King, Jim Lee, Damon Lindelof, Francis Manipool, Brad Meltzer, Mark Millar, or Mark Miller, Grant Morrison, Paul Mount, Steve Orlando, Patton Oswalt, George Perez, Ivan Rice, Ashley Victoria Robinson, Matthew Rosenberg, J.K. Rowling, Jesus Saiz, Liam Sharp, Gal Simone, Scott Snyder, Chris Sotomayor, Philip Tan, Tom Taylor, James Tinney the Four, Steve Wands, G. Willow Wilson, Lionel Yu, Jim Zub, Oliver Copiel, Greg Pack. And there's so many more names that I didn't mention. Uh, like I said, 250 people, but I, I did mention a bunch of the names that you may have heard on this podcast. And by December 2018, this charity had raised over $200,000 towards LGBTQ charities, including the Pulse Victims and the Trevor Project, which is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ young people. It is so dang cool and full of messages of love. It is worth checking out and buying to support a good cause. Uh, I certainly want to get my own copy, but it was available in the library. So I'm like, let me look at it. And it's just, it's great. And there's, there's a forward in it by... Sorry, I'm I'm sort of blanking here, but there there's an introduction by Patty Jenkins, and then there's a a finish. Uh, the end is I think it's Mark Andreco who actually did the the finish part, but I have to to look at it real quick. Ah, yeah, Mark Andreco who actually put the entire thing, a New York Times bestseller of Mar- Manhunter, Wonder Woman seven seven, Torso with Brian Bendis, Batwoman, Doctor Strange, Captain America, and Bucky. Really cool guy. Check it out. Love is love. 
and is all you need is love love is all you need it's wonderful great comic and the last on the comic list to talk about is grant morrison's new x-men volume one to seven collected trades this collects morrison's entire new x-men run from issues 114 to 154 uh, volume one is e for extinction with pencils by frank quietly uh, lionel francis U. Uh, and Ethan Van Skyver, Ink by Tim Townsend, Dan Green, Jerry Allen Gwillen, and Prentice Rollins. Colors Brian Haberlin and Hi-Fi Design. Volume 2 is Imperial. Pencils by Quiet Lee, Igor Cordy, Van Skyver, and Tom Derenick. Ink by Quiet Lee, Cordy, Rollins, Townsend, Danny Meeky, Rich Perota, Scott Hanna, and Sandu Floria. Colors Haberlin and Hi-Fi. Vol 3 is New Worlds with Pencils by Cordy, Van Skyver, John Paul Leone, and Phil Jimenez. Ink by Cordy. Bill Sienkiewicz, Andy Lanning, and Norm Rapman, and Color by Hi-Fi, Dave McCaig, and Chris Chuckery. Volume 4 is Riot at, Riot at Xavier's, Pencils by Quietly with Karen Grant, Inks by Avalon Studios, Townsend, Rapman, Richard Starkings, and Comicraft, Colors by Chris Chuckery. Volume 5 is Assault on Weapon Plus with Pencils by Phil Kamine and Chris Bacalo, Inks by Andy Lanning and Townsend, Color by Chuckery with McCaig. Vol 6 is Planet X, Pencils by Jimenez, Ink by Lanning with Simon Colby and Color by Chuckery. And Volume 7 is Here Comes Tomorrow with Pencils by Mark Silvestri, Inks by Bat, Joe Weems, Billy Tan, Eric Basalowo, or B-A-S-A-L-O-U-A, so Basaloa and Townsend. Colors by Steve Furcho, John Starr, Matt Miller, Frank Diarmada, Beth Sotella, and Brian Bucalato. I mean, under the direction of Editor-in-Chief Joe Quesada, these these new X-Men comics are meant to regain some of the X-Men's former glory, as well as reclaiming some of the critical acclaim that they wanted. And uh, the teaching at Xavier's is focused on, and Frank quietly does a redesign of the team that gives them sleek, leather, polyester outfits instead of their traditional superhero uniforms. They're more contemporary. Uh, Beast gets a big change based on a secondary mutation and resembles a lion, which is really awesome. And then Xavier School is more than just a training center here. It's a legitimate school. Dozens and dozens of mutant students. Morrison is unafraid to cover dark terrain, and this starts really dark. Bring on Professor X and his X-Men up against the new threat that is Cassandra Nova and the secrets of her mysterious existence. There's battles with the Shi'ar Imperium led by Lalandra. Also, what goes down in Magneto's mutant homeland of Genosha is crazy. There's new mutants in Beak and Angel and Turab and then Zorn and Phantom X. Also, a bunch of stuff connecting to Wolverine and the Weapon Plus program. Plus, the threat of human and more. There's humans you know, homo sapiens and mutants, homo superior. And then there's a human who are humans who think that they can graft mutant powers on themselves. And that that's a part of this. There's a love triangle for Jean Grey, Scott Summers, and Emma Frost that is full of tension all over these comics. If you want deaths, well, read the comics. The characters die here. If you want new stuff for Jean and her Phoenix powers, that's here's two plus full-on Magneto evilness. One of the best runs in this is Students Gone Rogue in issues 134 to 138 and the introduction of a mutant drug called Kick. Let's see what else. A murder mystery and teenage pregnancy and lots of stuff for Cuckoo's goodness. Cuckoo's goodness. And uh, towards the end, it's full-on space stuff and a story in the future, which is really wild. I, I didn't actually like how it all ended, but I did like the journey that got me there. Uh, these are just crazy X-Men stories, and you can count on Grant Morrison to do full-on crazy when he is given the reins to a comic book franchise. There is one particular moment for Wolverine and Jean 
which uh whoa really surprised me and the magneto stuff is also real good this is wild and fun and i will not complain about being able to read a bunch of x-men for free courtesy of my college library but i think that's enough comics for this time that actually was a lot of issues stay tuned for more comics in the future and a promised comic palooza like seriously i counted there's like 125 comics and 12 trades sitting by my bed that i haven't even written notes for yet and then there's there's another pile of probably like 20 to 30 comics that i haven't even read yet so lots more comics to come and hopefully maybe danny on the next episode will talk a little bit of comics with me we shall see but that's gonna wrap up this episode it's probably gonna end up fully being like an hour and a half when everything is said and done thank you thank you so much for for being a part of all this for for being uh one of my friends listens to my rambling uh i really really appreciate you stopping by and doing all your awesome thing you know the drill laughitupfuzzball.net is the website that holds the podcast you can go on the laugh it up fuzzballs with an s facebook page where we talk all sorts of geeky stuff uh at wookie riot on twitter and instagram uh laugh it up fuzzball podcast at gmail.com drop ratings on on the on the itunes and the interwebs that'd be rad i would i would really appreciate that uh, or drop just comments or geeky stories or whatever. I just really like hearing from everybody. I'm going to have to actually take a look and see if anybody's done some five-star ratings and give them a shout-out on a future episode. But, hey, international community of fuzzballs, thanks for being you. Thanks for being classy. Thanks for stopping by. Remember, as always, to be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. Uh, this is going up probably after midnight, so it's Mother's Day. Hug your mama. Tell tell your geeky mama how much you love her, and uh, and and love those those women who gave birth to you. Because without them, there's uh, no galaxy to unite. There's no possibility to unamos la galaxia without su mama. So, uh, hey, shout out to your mother from the Wookie. You can play. I'm, thank you, thank you for giving life to the individual who listened to this podcast, and I appreciate you. And hope you not only have one wonderful day, but all the wonderful days deserving of a giver of life. So, friends. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for your moms. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to end this podcast because it seems like a good place. Word to your mother. You namas la galaxia. TTFN. Wookie out.